We're back! We're back! It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How are you doing, Roth? How are you doing? I'm good, man. I went to the office yesterday for the first time since December. Wow! Wow, you went to an office. Yeah, it was wow. great. You know what I found there is that a listener had sent us a copy of Aerosmith's blues covers record, Honkin' on Bobo. So what's it you honkin' on Bobo? Uh, uh. It was like the first thing I saw when I came in there is just sitting there on top of a stack of other envelopes. Was it was it on vinyl? Like do they get No, CDs? it was on CD. It looked uh it was not a new CD. I think it had been very well loved in its previous life of listening to Steven Tyler be like, "Whoa, yeah." <laughs> on like Muddy Waters songs. Yeah! <laughs> I haven't. Just a real upsetting way to start the <laughs> office portion of your day, thinking about all that. Well, you know, according to the uh, the Times and the uh, the Washington Post, uh, you know, America's bosses think it's very bad for you to not uh, go to the office, and you know, you could be hurting both your career, uh, your business, and and even your. It would be bad for your blood pressure to not go to the yeah, office. That's, that's all. why Drew and I are coming together with America's bosses to encourage you to go to work. What if there's a copy of Aerosmith honking on Bobo in your office and you don't know about it? Did you listen to the album? No. <laughs> you gotta look, I, I considered bringing it home. It's been like a running joke with me and a couple of friends for like literally 20 years. It's the worst thing you can call a record. <laughs> it's like, I want to try it. I mean, I'm someone who listened to Aero, like 90s hair metal Aerosmith and liked it, so maybe... Everybody did. Yeah, this was like what this was basically them cashing in like a few quintuple platinum albums where they were like, Steven really wants to do the like a John Lee Hooker song. It's very important to him. Well, I mean, it's important that we talk about this because it could segue into our guest. It's Aerosmith's Joe Perry who's joining us. No, it's not. It's former Broncos tight end and current Denver talk show host, Nate Jackson. How you doing, Nate? Hey. I'm good. I'm really happy to be a part of your guys's your guys's podcast. This is yeah. great. Thanks for for coming. This makes way more sense than Joe Perry. I really wasn't sure how we were going to get an hour out of it. I th- I think also you are the first NFL player who has ever been on the podcast, which means you're going to get questions from us like, "What's it like to snap the ball? Is that hard?" You know, <laughs> I can answer those. Don't oh, you good. Get cold out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's cold. Like, isn't taping up such a bitch? Anyway, so, <laughs> so I want to talk about you first, uh, Nate. Uh, before we talk about uh, the previous weekend in the NFL, which was easily one of the best weekends uh, of football that that I've ever seen. But for you, first, you played for the Broncos for six years, and you cover them locally now. But in between that, you uh, you wrote for Deadspin when we were there, and you did some other stuff. So I wanted. to there were a couple of things. One is, did you ever anticipate becoming a radio host in your playing days? Was that a career option that you envisioned for yourself? Or how'd you get into it? It, it was not at all a, a career option for me. I was, uh, you know, I was just friendly with the media in, in town. And I was a guy who they would come to when they had a question, kind of a deeper question about the team, about something going on. And I was able to articulate what we were going through in a way that that they liked. And so I became friends with a lot of the radio guys in town, a lot of the television guys in town, a lot of the beat reporters. And, and when I stopped playing, I did have an opportunity to get into radio right away, but I said no to it because I wanted to be a writer because my writing career was sort of, you know, budding in front of me, thanks to some of the uh, deadspin traction I was getting. Because when I stopped playing, I realized I had these these stories about the other side of the coin, about how what it's like to snap the ball or what it's like when you're cold during the game, <laughs> things like that. All the big questions, all the huge questions that have never been answered. And uh, I wanted to I wanted to start writing stories about, hey, what is it really like to be one of the guys out there? Because Peyton Manning 
Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. That's not the real story. There's 53 guys on every team. Now there's 16 guys on the practice squad. There's guys on injured reserve. That's really the story. The locker room, the bulk of the dudes play for, you know, the average careers, three and a half years. What's that experience like? I wanted to tell that story. So when I stopped playing, I started writing. I had a friend named Stefan Fatsis who, who wrote a book called A Few Seconds of Panic. Oh, and yes. Was, yeah, you know Stefan. Um, we do. Yeah, Stefan's a good friend of mine, and he's the kind of he's the guy who kind of nudged me into this world because uh, prior to meeting him, I was writing this online journal for the Broncos website. They, I, I went to play to NFL Europe for them, so this is kind of a long story. But uh, 2003, I was on the practice squad and then with the Broncos, and then that off season, they sent me to Europe to kind of develop. They used to do that back in the day with NFL Europe. Uh, NFL teams would send five or six guys from their team. They would allocate them to this team, and then they and then they'd go play in Europe during the off season, get some experience, and come back and have some experience and, and get back to work. Um, they asked me to do an online journal while I was in Europe, and I started writing it. And I really loved writing about football and my experience, and it got some traction here locally. And when Stefan Fatsis a few years later came to the team to write a few seconds of panic. We became friends. He knew I was a writer and he started encouraging me to write more. And, um, and so when I finished playing, I did that and I would send my articles to Stefan and he would kind of tell me where to send it based on the context of it and, and the, and the tone of it. And a lot of them were sent to Deadspin. So Deadspin gave me my, uh, my start. And from that, I got calls from publishers and, and agents and whatnot. And I chose an agent and I started writing the book and so I, I veered away from the media side or at least the radio side and dove into the writing of, of my first book. And then I wrote a second book, which just kind of fell flat on its ass. And then I, you know, um, dawdled. Is that a word? Dawdled around. In you, it is a word. Yeah. It is a word. You're still I, right. I, I wrote a, a screenplay and I tried to get that thing sold for several years in, in L.A. and went through just a variety of missteps there and letdowns and um, confusion there because the sports world and Hollywood are very, very different. The way they communicate in sports, it's very clear every day, you know exactly what you're doing. If you're doing well, they let you know if they tell you something, it's going to happen. But in Hollywood, it isn't. It's very, very vague. You can have they the say nothing. Yeah, this has been like a recurring trope. Like when we've had TV people on about how like you'll have a meeting and everybody's like, that's so great. I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you. And then they never take your call again, <laughs> ever. Yeah, that happened so many times. It was so deflating. And, and multiple times I would have a meeting canceled the day of, like on my way there. And I would get oh. And it was just, uh, eventually it was, it, was, it was brutal. And I had to kind of, you know, have a talk with myself in the mirror. I had this opportunity to come back here and do some radio. And so I convinced my wife and my little baby that didn't take a lot of convincing. He was ready to get out of LA, but we moved during the pandemic 2020 and came out here and I've been doing this for a year and a half now. What, um, what was the screenplay about? Uh, it was, it's about a former uh, player moving on from the NFL, navigating the real world in a, in a dark comedic way. I thought it's, I, I think it's, it's, it's done. It's good. It's a pilot episode. It could be a great TV show. I just haven't been able to get any traction on it, but people who read it like it, it's just, I just get a lot of, you know, <sighs> emails unreturned and meetings that go well, but then crickets after that. So I had to just face the reality of what it was and, and move back to Denver where, where the grass is greener for me. Uh, where did the Broncos send you in Europe? What team did you play? Uh, Rhein Fire in Dusseldorf, Germany. They're, uh, Germans are very horny for American football, are they yeah. not? 
Yeah, we had, there were four, I think, out of the six teams in NFL Europe, four of them were in Germany. There was the yeah. Berlin Thunder, the Cologne Centurions, uh, Rhine Fire, uh, Frankfurt Galaxy. Frankfurt Are Galaxy. still a goal yeah, That's right. I remember yeah. that from when, when they first started NFL Europe, that was like in was the, the World um, League. Yeah, the World League in the cards, and they would like, uh, you get like a pack of pro set 90 whatever. <laughs> Did you have World League cards? Wrong? They didn't have like big name players over there, but like Dennis Erickson was coaching one of the teams and stuff. So they would, that was the star power, was just throwing in like, a, you know, a college coach you faintly remember wearing like a Frankfurt Galaxy starter jacket <laughs> and a headset. I think, uh, I think fucking Kurt Warner played in the World League. Yeah. Yeah, I'm he did. Sure. So, did so did Jake DeLome. In, Ooh. Yeah, did, uh, did you live. Like, did they give you housing? Did you have to find an apartment? No, we were, all, we were in a hotel. We were in a hotel called the Relexa Hotel. Ooh. Uh, yeah, well, it sounds fancier than it was. It wasn't. I was going to say, it sounds like a like a medication, <laughs> mostly. But. Right. It was, uh, we were on the second floor. We had the whole second floor. We had our own rooms, which was nice. But um, yeah, it was, it, it was a great experience. Although, what was interesting about playing in NFL Europe is if you get hurt and it's a significant enough injury, to, to, to take some real rehab, they would fly you back to Birmingham, Alabama, which was where Health South was, the main medical team that they had contracted. So I had to go to Birmingham twice during that short season, once for a broken pinky, once for a torn MCL. So it was kind of a whirlwind. Even for a broken pinky, you had to go to fucking Bama? Yeah, and that was actually, training camp was in Tampa Bay, Florida. So we are in, in Tampa, and our and our head coach was this guy named Pete Kaharchek, and he was this old school dude. And he's like, "No one's gonna outwork us. No one's gonna fucking outwork us." <laughs> we were, you know, two days full pads, just cracking the shit out of each other. Right? It was really, really brutal stuff. And I, you know, basically just cracked my pinky in half. It was, it was to the point where they were wondering if I needed surgery. So they put me on a flight to go to Birmingham in the middle of training camp. I was there for two days. They said, ah, "I guess you don't need surgery after all." So I flew back to Tampa. We finished training camp uh, about a week, week or two later, we flew to Germany. And then in the first game of the season, tore my MCL. So I flew, flew back to Birmingham four weeks there, rehabbing the MCL finally was, was cleared. And then I flew back to Germany and finished the season. I had five more games. When you go to Birmingham, like, do you get to see Dr. James Andrews? Like, does he come into your, your room for like five <laughs> minutes just to grace you with his presence and then he leaves or anything like that? No, I didn't see, I didn't see Dr. Andrews. Oh, he, what a jip. Yeah, I didn't really need to. He, you know, he's the kind of the hip shoulder, I think, specialist. If I had had surgery, I would have seen him, but I had an MCL. All it needed was rehab. I didn't need a surgery on it. So I, 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 I just rehabbed with his this guy named Mayfield Alexander every day. And he's just a real exciting, excitable, gregarious guy who gives <laughs> no bullshit. <laughs> see, now, if you had torn your MCL and your ACL, you might have gotten a shot to see yeah. the big gun doctor. You would have been so, so pleased. Like, right. oh, an amazing Finally, honor. I get my knee reconstructed by a star. A fucking star. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the, uh, the past weekend because the Packers choked and I enjoyed mm. that. So, so much. I, I want to make fun of Aaron Rodgers just for a moment because it's really the only chance I'm going to get. My team's going to hire fucking Dan Quinn and they're going to win eight <laughs> games a year for the Hold next on, like, no, 10 the years. Broncos, everyone here thinks the Broncos are going to hire Dan Quinn. Oh, really? Oh, uh oh. I hope the Broncos don't win that sweepstakes. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you, so, you don't believe Dan Quinn is going to be the guy? You don't believe he's learned from his first mistakes and he's going to come out a better man, experienced and knowing how to build a culture, a culture that was missing in Minnesota with Mike Zimmer, the kind of the defensive 
curmudgeonly dingleberry guy? <laughs> I know, I know. You know, I think is? you might believe that Dan Quinn could do all that in Denver, but he most definitely does not believe he's going to do it in Minnesota. I think that's, I think that's, you know what yeah. it is? I, I fully believe, like, I know there's evidence that, like, most of the past Super Bowls have been won by retread coaches. Like, especially if you count Belichick, right? Belichick, Andy Reid, uh, Bruce Arians, like these guys have had have been head coaches before they went to another place and they finally won a Super Bowl. So I know retread coaches can succeed. I just don't believe any of them will succeed. I just don't know which ones will succeed, and I definitely don't believe Dan Quinn is one of them. Do you feel differently? Well, I think Dan Quinn, um, he has a really good reputation around here. The people that I know that know him really, really like him and what he brings to a football team. They have a lot of good things to say about him. He did take the uh, take the Falcons to a Super Bowl, and they should have probably won that Super Bowl. Yeah, I was going to say, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> you can't really, I don't know, can you blame a coach when when the team kind of collapses like that? Like, what can he say on the sideline to stop that from happening? Like, don't do what you're doing, guys. Stop, <laughs> right. stop. Gonna, stop. I mean, so I, circle up. you got to stop fucking losing right now. Yeah, I, please, stop that. <laughs> I guess he could have, like, bonked Kyle Shanahan with a very large mallet. Or something yeah. like that, like in the third quarter. Maybe that would have done something. It's true. He doesn't get much flack for that collapse. He usually falls on Kyle and on Matt Ryan. But you're the head coach. Surely you deserve a, a little bit of shit. Yeah, you deserve a little bit. But then you also deserve a little bit of praise for getting there in the first place, right? It's true. It's true. It is. It, I think that's a good point, though, about the the retread coach thing. That like that becomes part of the story after that coach bounces back and like wins a Super Bowl or just shows... You know, whatever this, like, sort of whatever act of his career Andy Reid is on right now, where he's, like, perfectly marshalling 13-second drives halfway down the football field after spending his entire career being the guy that makes mistakes at the end of games. <laughs> you know, like, it, it becomes an easier story to tell and understand once you've seen it. But for now, yeah, like, Quinn is still the guy that, you know, he's the 28-3 to guy, which is probably not fair to him. Well, I guess. yeah, because it's, it's, a, it's a fan dynamic where I think... You remember a head coach almost exclusively for the times he fucked up, as opposed to the times <laughs> yeah. he he did yeah. he did good things. That's not always true. Like I think Sean McVay has sort of eluded that so far. Although he got his ass handed to him by the Patriots in the Super Bowl, so I don't. But I want. But we're we're digressing from the Aaron important Rogers issue. Yeah, yeah we're just Rogers. fuck Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, fuck that guy. So anyway. <laughs> uh, First of all, it's Nate, so, by you, the way, it's so great being able to say fuck on, on yeah, this. That's hey, right. Man. I'm fuck in the fuck, fuck. studio. Don't I can back. never say these words in this studio that I'm sitting in now, but I can right now. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> it's great, right? It's very free. Fuck, 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 fuck. It's fellas, this is too much. I don't like this kind of language. <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask you a, a good, hard sports radio question. Do you think Rodgers will actually return to Green Bay? I, I think it's a given that he will return. Everyone else seems convinced that he's like not going to be there again. Well, I don't know. Like, and I know you can't take a lot from the post-game press conference after a devastating loss like that. But it's, yeah, shit, no. He sure seemed like a guy who who didn't want to be there anymore. He sure seemed like a guy who's like over it and was giving reasons as to why he might leave. I know the Packers have some issues to figure out. They got money issues to figure out. He said that he didn't want to be a part of a rebuild. Of course, Devontae Adams, they got to figure that one out. Yes. To me, okay, so this guy is is the ultimate narcissist, right? And to me, the way that the, he was being way too nice this year, like something was weird about it. Like, I'm having so much fun. This is the most fun I've ever had. My coaches are so great. All the problems we had are just under the rug. We're cool now. Now, that to me bespoke a dude who was about to pull the rug out. Now, his story got a little derailed because he lost in the first round like that. I think he wanted to win the Super Bowl, 
right off into the sunset, either retire or go to another team. And of course, Denver thinks they're number one in the sweepstakes for Aaron Rodgers. So that's like takes up a lot of the stuff we talk about on this station is Aaron Rodgers. Is he coming here? What would happen if he did? What do we got to do to get him? So Nathaniel Ratcliffe is a name high on the coaching candidate list, specifically, in my opinion, because he smells like Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Hackett. It's Nathaniel Hackett. Is that Hackett. correct? Yes. I believe. Is that, is that Paul Hackett? Did, I, did I not say Hackett? What did I say? You said Radcliffe. You got to begin oh, Did I? That's, yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Daniel, Rad, Daniel Radcliffe. Which is, Daniel Radcliffe would also Daniel make Radcliffe. a fine, fine <laughs> NFL coach. But he you also, so to that end, you did tweet after the game. You said, number one seed, home field advantage, and couldn't beat Jimmy G when it actually mattered. Yeah. Tell me again why this guy's the only hope for the Denver Broncos. Now, are you really skeptical that Aaron Rodgers would be able to help the Broncos get over the hump? No, or I don't. Or were you just tweeting? I was, I was just tweeting, but, but, but it's, it's, it's partly because of the narrative around here that it's like, we need either Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, or we're screwed. There's no way we can compete in the NFL without Aaron Rodgers. And it's just, it's become a fever pitch around here for me as a player, as a guy, one of those 53 players, it's insulting to put it all on one guy like that. Clearly you saw that Aaron Rodgers couldn't do it. He is not the golden child. He is not the only person who can get it done. He wasn't able to beat the 49ers at home with the number one seed. So my point is that, look, it's about the team, and Aaron Rodgers coming in here isn't going to save this franchise. You have to build a team up, create create a culture of winning, and get these guys to believe. This Broncos team was really bad this year, specifically offensively, like anemic, so anemic. And in fact, that's like offensive to those who are anemic. It was really, really bad. They couldn't <laughs> score points in the first half. Uh, they played a style of, of football that Vic Fangio endorsed. He believed that he could create this lights-out defense where all you had to do was have this conservative offense that didn't turn the ball over and you would win games. It was the height of hubris. It didn't work. He yeah, got fired. I, and, so, I and I think coach. you know Mike Zimmer sort of cut from the same cloth as Vic Fangio. Yep. Hey, uh, why do you think Rodgers played so badly in that game? I don't know. I think, look, you got to give credit to the 49ers. Um, of course. But yeah, yeah. I mean, and it was snowing. It was snowing. But also Aaron Rodgers in, in the, a couple weeks ago, I heard him say something about how he really prefers it when it's cold and snowing because the defense gets slowed down and he can, you know, really dial things up and control the pace out there, and he wasn't doing that. So Players he, love to say that shit, though. They're always like, yeah. you know what? Pressure? I love pressure. Give me all the pressure. I want a gun <laughs> to my wife's head. <laughs> and I, if, if, if I miss the pass and they pull the trigger, I want that. I eat that for breakfast. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I guess guys have bad days from time to time, but we didn't expect to see that from Aaron Rodgers because – he, he was so good this year. What, he had four interceptions and 37 touchdowns or whatever it was, similar yeah. to last year. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that, hey, was he showing his age? Did he get rattled? Um, <laughs> is he on the decline? I don't know, but he is 38, and the, the assumption that he's going to play till he's like 42, 43, 44, like Tom Brady, might be a stretch. I just think that, I don't, uh, sometimes they get you, and, and they got him. And so my tweet was basically, hey, guys, it's not about one dude. Aaron Rodgers is not going to come in here and take us to the Super Bowl. We need to build the team up, and the right quarterback will fall to us. That's my opinion. Uh, that makes more sense to me than trying to hero ball it and whatnot. I would say the thing that blew me away the most about the discourse after the Rodgers thing, a guy is an anonymous NFL coach, one of the great sources of quotes in our American media landscape, told The Athletic that, like, First of all, referred to the Pat McAfee show as the A.J. Hawk show, which I thought was hilarious. 
What are you guys thoughts on Pat McAfee? Do you, do you like? Yeah, him? no. I mean, it was like seemed unfair, but he was also he was like uh, he's like yeah, he's not he wasn't prepared for the game. Like you could tell that Rogers wasn't like he wasn't in it. He spent the whole week going on podcasts and talking about cancel culture, <laughs> and I think that that's wrong. I think he was probably prepared for the game and just didn't have a good day. But of all the things, of all the people to get dinged in that way by an anonymous coach type, like I would have bet on Aaron Rodgers getting all the way out of the NFL without anyone ever accusing him of not being focused or not being like having his head in the game. But it that's was, like the whole, just the his, last month has been so much of that. Was it his own coach? One of his own coaches? No, I mean, okay. you know, I'm assuming not. Uh, and so I think it was probably just one of those classic like, someone shit talking another guy to an NFL beat like a guy like a national guy yeah but yeah I mean it's still like pretty damning even if it's just somebody sitting on his couch popping off with it I do remember I interviewed um someone within the NFL and they told me something that I should have realized ages ago which was that when you see an anonymous scout quoted that scout almost certainly doesn't work for an NFL team like, it's just some fucking asshole. Yeah, like some dude in Albert Breer's phone or right. whatever. Right, and, and I feel just, so yeah. fucking stupid that I, I didn't I didn't think that. When I would read it, and I'd be like, well, this guy, this guy's probably a general manager for... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. But now, now it's a fucking pud. So I, I think it was interesting, Nate, because I had just watched Tom Brady play like absolute shit in the first half against the Rams. Like, he just played horribly. But there's always that sense, okay, it's Tom Brady... He'll get his. That's just like, even the even Collinsworth was like, he's going to, it's Tom Brady. He's going to do Tom Brady shit eventually. And he did. So I was watching that Niners game and I was like, all right, well, at some point Aaron Rodgers will snap out of it because he's Aaron Rodgers. And he didn't. And that has happened to him before in playoff games. And I don't, I think it's stupid to put the label choker on anybody because I don't really believe in that unless it's my own team. But it's like, eh, I don't, I don't know quite what to do with, you know, where he goes from, from here, and I'm sorry, I'm not giving you much to work with to, to reflect off of, but I'm I'm not quite certain what to make of him at this moment. Well, yeah, there is there is definitely a disparity between regular season Aaron Rodgers and playoff Aaron Rodgers. Why is that? Is is he just want to go back to Hawaii and 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 just you know do some ayahuasca in the jungle? Maybe, um, <laughs> but, but but I don't know what it is. I, I saw some stat about what I think it's. 16 straight playoff appearances without a Super Bowl appearance or something like that, or whatever it is, it's shocking, um, you know, especially after a number one seed. You're the best team in the NFL all year long. You're number one in the power rankings. Everyone's afraid of you. They don't want to come to Lambeau Field, uh, and then they do, and and you go home a loser. It's, it's, it's deflating for the fan base. You know, I know he was on Pat McAfee saying everyone's rooting against him because he's unvaccinated. Um, I think that's silly. I think everyone's rooting against him because they do, just don't like him. He's be, he's become sort of an unlikable character, um, and his uh, to me his unwillingness to say the things he says on the Pat McAfee show to other media members to go on other shows and and be forthright about how he feels that kind of isolates him and makes him the asshole. I think I think he should say these things to everyone. And I know he's like trying to play this game with the media and doesn't want him to twist his words and things like that. But when he was up in front of them and he had the opportunity to clarify his immunization he didn't do that right. and uh and and so it's his bad i think he he has only himself to blame uh when your first three years with the broncos and correct me if i'm wrong um the first two years they lost in the wild card game and then they lost the afc title game that's right uh in 2005 were you on uh were you on the active roster for those games um can you tell me was there any difference in how 
in the sort of the feeling in the atmosphere among the team in those games when they lost them and then afterward? Yeah, so so it's actually I think pretty instructive. So the the first two years I was I, the first year we went ten and six. We went to Indy. We got our butts kicked by Peyton Manning and those guys. They were just really good. I was active for that game. Um, ironically, my very first active game was the previous game, week 17, game 16, against the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau Field. I got brought up from the practice squad. We were going to rest a few guys because it didn't really matter if we won or lost. They had to win to make the playoffs. Brett Favre and Amon Green went off on us. They won, and I think they got some help by someone meeting, beating the Minnesota Vikings or something happened there, or maybe Minnesota won. This was 2003. It well, was, that might have been the uh, the Keith Poole game if it was yeah, 2003. some kind of crazy play in the end zone at the end of the game. Yeah, yeah that was a Keith Poole game. So, so the Packers got in, and, and next week we went to Indy and got blown out. Um, the very next year we went 10-6 and six again, went to Indy again, and got blown out again. But the next year after that, we were 13-3, and three, and we were the number one seed. And we were hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC Championship game. I was That was my first year as a tight end. I spent most of that year on the bench, although I was on the active roster. Eight guys every game don't suit up for games. There's 53 guys on the active roster, 45 right. suit up. So eight guys, you walk into the locker room on game day, there's a guy who gives you a thumbs down and says, you're down. So I put on my sweats and I start eating donuts and drinking coffee and go stand on the sideline and watch my buddies play. It was a rough year for me because you go through the practices, you go through all that, but you don't get to play. That it sucks. Was it sucks a lot, but I had my finger on the pulse. I could usually tell if we were going to win or lose just by the feel in the locker room before the game and the week of practice that we had. I knew we were going to lose that game against the Steelers. We didn't feel right. There was a lot at stake there. You know, when you host a playoff game of that magnitude, everyone in your family and all your friends come to town. They all want to stay in your house. It is a tiring week. And so it's imperative for your coach to create, you know, uh, opportunities for you to get away. For example, the night before the game, all players stay in a hotel, even in home games, because of that. You want to be able to get away from your friends and your family and your wife. And so, um, but I felt it. We we just we just didn't have it. I think we were depleted. I think we didn't maybe take the Steelers uh, serious enough because they had gone to Indy and beat the Colts, who were actually no, the Colts were the number one seed. We were the number two seed. We did get a bye, but we beat the Patriots in our first round in a pretty awesome game. And so we hosted the Steelers because they went to Indy and beat the the Colts on that. Do you remember when uh, Ben Roethlisberger made that shoestring tackle on that uh, fumble recovery to save the the game? I don't know if you remember that play. Yes, I do. Faintly, yeah. They were the sixth seed. They went on and, and won the Super Bowl. They had the juice that year. But they came in and beat us. We weren't ready for it. And... You know, a lot of the a lot of the blame got placed on Jake Plummer, but it was not. It was a team loss. Jake couldn't do much to save us. He didn't play great, but none of us did. And the Steelers got up on us early and just kind of held on. It was a different looking game than the Niners and the and the Packers. It was, you know, the Packers went right down the field that first that first drive. Scored, you know, I thought it was gonna be a long day for the Niners. Yeah, up, yeah. It's like, oh, this game's over. I grew up a Niner fan. All my friends were going absolutely crazy. So so this was um fun for me to watch. But, uh, yeah, it was very instructive. Sometimes you just don't have it, and your quarterback can't save you. Uh, let's take a break and come right back with uh, Nate Jackson. We'll be right back. And we're back. We're back uh, with Nate Jackson. We're getting right into the fun shit uh, because we already talked enough very serious football talk. So now we have to talk about stupid shit to, like, even it out, Nate. That's what yeah. we do. Uh, we're going to remember a guy – because uh, every week 
Roth and I remember a guy on the podcast, and you are a guy, but we're re- we've we've just remembered you for a solid half an hour. So we're <laughs> yeah. going to remember a yes. different guy, and that guy of the week is former punter Todd Sauerbrunn. Remember that guy, Nate? I think. Oh you yeah. Do you know his nickname? What was his nickname? Boom. Oh, because he boomed punts, <laughs> right? Because when he kicked it, that's all you heard. That's Boom. a pretty good nickname for a punter to have. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like the Sour Patch Kid. And he would be like, <laughs> "Please don't call me that," and it just like it wouldn't work. Yeah, he was the uh, he was the original uh, punt god because he got drafted in the second round by the Panthers. Did he? Wow. Yes, I remember that because he was like he had he was just a historically good punter in college. The way that that San Diego State guy was this year, so he got punt- he got picked in the second round. I just said he got punted, and uh, <laughs> and he sort of washed out in Carolina, and they joined you. With the Broncos, and he was your teammate. Was it all six years while you were there, or just a few of them? No, it was just a couple of them, yeah. And then he was there when uh, Fatsis wrote A Few Seconds of Panic. That's right. And you could tell from Fatsis' writing that he thought Sauerbrunn was a, was a fucker. He was, he, was, he was somewhat diplomatic about it, but not terribly diplomatic about it. What was your impression of Todd Sauerbrunn when you were there? A little bit of a fucker, but, uh, <laughs> but my I was going to say, like, you're under no obligation to call the man a fucker, but no, <laughs> this is it. This is, this is why we had you on, man. Yeah, we, but he was my, but, but Todd was my kind of fucker. You know, he was a he was a good dude. Um, I liked him a lot. He was a quirky guy. He, um, you know, I think he got busted with PEDs at some point, and so he kind of embodied that sort of PED Long Island guy. You know, he was a I meathead. Mean? He was a yeah. little bit of a meathead. He sh- he shaved his body, head to toe, plucked his eyebrows pretty <laughs> early. Wait, he did? Um, oh yeah. Like, did yeah. he do it in the locker room? He was jacked up. No, no. But he was just, you know, he was jacked. Like the guys who the guys who care about that and may or may not be doing PEDs like their bodies and like to like show off their muscles and be tan and you know have smooth legs and stuff like that. But he was a funny guy. Um, I had these really really raggedy pair of shorts that I would always wear to work. And every time he'd see me, he'd be like, new shorts? Um, so that was a running joke we had, new shorts. Um, he got in a little bit of trouble uh, in the back of a cab uh, or an Uber driver. I think he, he um, assaulted, uh, or there was a, an accusation of assault of an Uber driver or a cab driver here in Denver. Um, you know, he was, uh, I think he was a good teammate. He was beloved in the locker room. People liked him. He kicked the crap out of the ball every time. I mean, at practice, boom, boom. <laughs> and covering punts for him, you know, was, was always a little tricky because punting on punt team, the, uh, the special teams coach wants it to be a directional punt, typically. It's punt left or punt right or punt middle. And sometimes punters have better directional skills than others, but boom would just boom the ball. You know what I mean? So you'd think it was a, a punt left, and all of a sudden, boom, and it'd be going right, and you'd have to adjust your lane. But um, he was a good teammate, uh, and uh, yeah, like many guys, he just kind of he just disappears from your life, and you never see him again, and you never talk to him until you talk to him on the distraction pod or about. That's right. Say, no, somebody brings him up, yeah. and it's like, so he was he he shaved his body, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know if he shaved whole body, but you know, it was like one of those guys who had no leg hair. And, uh, yeah, like, that's like a. Yeah, I remember or arm um, hair too. The arm hair is a very like Long Island like kind of. I feel yeah. like, or Jersey, I don't know. No, that's totally correct. As yeah. like the resident tri-state person here, like that's a whole, I mean, most of the time you see it in New York, like it's like in the city, it's police officers, but like you can tell, like this is just a guy that whatever, so pleased with his forearms that he does not want anything right. to get between other people and like a primo view of that shit. <laughs> exactly. Well, we were talking about the cold and I wanted to remember a tweet before we get into the fun bag. It's the classic Michael Irvin tweet. 
It's in all caps. Man, when we played in that cold weather, we was cold. In truer words, <laughs> never spoken by Michael Irvin. Time for the fun bag. This is from Tom, Nate. He writes in, I was watching football with my dad last weekend, and he came up with an interesting idea that would either ruin football or make it 5% more interesting, and that is that each team will be limited to three field goal attempts per game. Nate, do you hmm. like that idea? Do you like a quota of I field goals? I do not. Goals? No. Okay. Because that well, what, so you'd have to go for it on fourth down if you if you you know reach your quota. But yes. I do think I do think some coaches and and this is a whole nother conversation. But the analytical you know the analytics guys they don't like they don't like kicking at all now. Like Brandon Staley, I, does his kicker ever kick? Does his punter ever punt? No, so it's I, fucking great. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're trending towards that. So it might inadvertently happen. Well, you know what's interesting was that the Bengals would not have pulled that upset against the Titans had they not kicked four million field goals. Yeah, so it was right. the Evan McPherson game. Yeah, it was. It was the Evan McPherson game. And they were assisted by Mike Vrabel orchestrating easily the worst two-minute drill I've ever seen in a football <laughs> game. Just by like so bad that Ryan Tannehill chucked an interception just to sort of like just to emphasize how shitty the clock management was. Which is interesting because like Vrabel has been spoken about in the last couple years glowingly uh, you know, referencing his coaching skills and his prowess and his intelligence, like that time when he did a bunch of penalties in a row to milk the clock or something like that. Right. There's this, there's this fog of war thing happening with some of these great coaches like Sean McDermott. What was he doing at the end of that B Buffalo Bills game? Right. Yeah. Like, um. So, so some of these really good coaches in the moment of truth make some really strange decisions. Uh, Matt writes in, lately I've noticed that I've been tucking my shirt into my sweatpants at night. It's not a great look. My wife has made comments that I am officially an old man. I'm 40. I think I do it because it's a little more comfortable and keeps my COVID belly warmer. But I also think I am succumbing to old age. What do you say, Nate? What do you think about someone tucking their T-shirt into their sweatpants? I have no problem with it, especially if it's a kind of a, a wider T-shirt, one that doesn't is not very form-fitting. Letting that thing just lo hang loose, that's kind of a sloppy look. If you want to tighten it up and look a little trimmer, um, yeah, tuck that thing in. Roth, have you ever tucked your T-shirt into your sweatpants? Tucking a t-shirt into sweatpants is, I think, a bridge too far for me. I'm not a big tucking guy as a general rule. I haven't even been a big sweatpants guy, although I know that puts me behind the times now because that's everybody just dresses like Drake now. I think I, I think I tuck in a shirt like twice a year, like like definitely like like Thanksgiving dinner. Like I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, this is a big moment. I better tuck it in. But Wait, I wouldn't right. untuck is, it. Is there a large roast on the table? Is an uncle here? <laughs> yeah, okay, right. then I will tuck my shirt in. Yeah, like do, you, do you own untuck it shirts? No. no. I so I have a whole I'm not going to get into my shirt collection on the podcast. Too late. I've only got a few minutes left. But uh I've tried on an untucked one. I used to get a lot of shirts at Goodwill and they're weird. They're super duper wide. So mm. like as you said, and I think that that's like actually more or less my opinion on it too that like if a shirt is kind of like weirdly not fitted, like there's nothing wrong with tucking it in. The untucked shirts that I tried on like they were crying out to be tucked in and yet I could not. <laughs> it funny. was a nightmare. That's funny. Yeah. They self-destruct if you actually tuck them in. Yeah, the, like the guy from the ads shows up and he's like, why would you dishonor me like this? <laughs> you get I invented this shirt. It's not called tuck it, sir. You're under <laughs> <Yes>. it. <laughs> I, uh, I don't tuck my t-shirt into my sweatpants because I think it would look, I think I would look like an old German person. But also, I don't, I don't think I can keep my t-shirt tucked into my sweatpants. I would come out. Like, I don't think. Why is I, that? I don't know. It's just like, like, I don't keep, like, I don't cinch my drawstring until my circulation cuts off, like a t-shirt can escape. It's rather, you know, it's a rather loose waistband I keep. 
for comfort and things of that nature. The, re- the real pros, though, the people that are serious about tucking their shit in. I remember as a child noticing that Bill Parcells would tuck his sweater into his pants. Oh, yeah. Nobody tells you to do oh, that. Oh, that's a hot But it was look. Bill Parcells, and he was that good at tucking his shirt in. That gets me. That gets that gets my motor running, baby. I, You know what? <laughs> I, I did notice uh, I watched All Madden, and... They, 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 you know, they had, you know, a series of people talking about how great John Madden was, because he was, and then one of them was, they were talking about Madden resigning, and he resigned at age 40, I believe, uh, so younger than I am right now, and it was the strain of the, of the, uh, of the job, and they cut to Bill Parcells, and he was very serious when he was like, he was like, people don't understand how big of a strain the job is, because you worry just all the fucking time. And it, he seemed extremely earnest and like vulnerable in that moment, and I almost was like, "Yeah, I, I like." It was the only time I felt sympathy for Bill Parcells. Like, wow, Bill Parcells must have worked really fucking hard. Yeah, like I mean, the second part of the sentence is like, "And you're so worried that you like whatever haze Terry Glenn for three years for no reason or whatever." But there is, I mean, for sure, it seems like that. Like that, some of it's theater. Like we were joking before we came on today about all these, the every team that's just hired a GM or a coach. Put up a post of them like showing up to work at four seventeen a.m. Oh yeah, in, like, rising grind, rising grind. So, like, yeah, like and some of that's like the you know the gag of it, but also like yeah, I'm sure it's a fucking miserable job. Uh, Fish writes in Nate. Does a sane human ever utter the word muffed unless they're talking about a punt? When it become accepted as well as expected for the announcer to describe it as a muff punt every single solitary time it takes place? I think muffed is in the rule book. Like I think it's called. Officially a muff punt, Nate, but have you ever used muffed in any other context? Not that I can remember. And and there are other words that only are used in football games, like under duress. When have you ever said that? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. The quarterback's under duress, but has anything else ever been under duress? Yeah, there's Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like in the way that you would use it in real life, it's like it would be way too dramatic a way. Because, like, I associate it with, like, a quarterback who is about to have, like, Aaron Donald just jump down their throat. And, like, I feel there's times where I feel under duress at work. But it's, like, it's because I'm worried about Barry yelling at me. It's not because I'm going to be harmed by a defensive tackle. Yeah, know? there's all sorts of weird quirks and farts in football. Like, like dialing up a blitz. Like, you don't dial up it. You only dial up a blitz. It's the only thing anybody ever does. Yep. <laughs> right? So, How can I direct your blitz? Uh, Aaron writes in, and this is really, this is not for you, Nate, because you you were an NFL player. This is for Roth. Uh, could you call the offense for an NFL game? It would be too much work to learn an entire playbook. But the plays were broken down into relatively simple categories like screen, pla- screen pass, draw, deep post, toss sweep, et cetera, et cetera. How successful do you think you'd be as a ghost offensive coordinator, Roth? Miserable. Awful. <laughs> I would be terrible at it. I mean, it would be... I think that this, I mean, it might be useful for me because I've spent most of my life at home and comfortable being like, well, don't do that. Ugh, like, what are you, serious? Another off-tackle run? But, like, there's clearly something that I'm not getting. And it's so much easier for me to, like, to complain about it in the negative rather than to try to fix it in the affirmative. I think I would uh, I would fire myself at halftime. Let's, Drew, I know you probably feel differently about this, though. I think I could, I think I, my team could, like, score a touchdown. But we'd still lose, you know, we'd still lose 40 to 7 or whatever. Like, that's, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm i not, uh, I'm not all that, like, I have a hard time 
winning Madden. Like, I blew the fucking NFC title game in Madden. And not, like, the hard level. <laughs> like, the regular level. So I, You weren't even under duress, really, at the time. No. Just but, but Kirk Cousins was my quarterback, and he came back, and he bit me in the fucking ass. This is from I, Michael, Nate. I think, hold on. I think you guys are giving a little too much credit to offensive coordinators. They are not geniuses, guys. They have players who know how to play football. Sometimes they call really shitty plays that end up being touchdowns because their players get them out of it. You can call a bad play. Your players save you. I think you guys would be great. Great. Did you uh that's, did you, you ever what? That's really nice. I have to say I disagree, but that's very kind. <laughs> now, did you ever get a play call in the huddle where the, the huddle was like, what the fuck is this? Um all the time. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, all the time. All the time. That's great. But then you just run it. You just do it, you know? <laughs> sometimes yeah. it doesn't work. But then sometimes it works because you make a play. Like so half of the coin, or one side of the coin is the X and O's. The other side is just dudes making plays when there's nothing there. And uh, you need both. Yeah, it's like, well, it's like when a quarterback makes a play out of a busted play. Yeah. So then a bad play call is essentially a pre-busted play. Exactly. <laughs> uh, this is from Michael. This is your last question, Nate. With the expansion of baseball... Uh, football and NBA playoffs. There have been some discussion about allowing certain teams to choose their opponents in the first round, especially in baseball. If such a policy were put into place, Nate, who in the organization would make that decision? Uh, it's got to be the punter. <laughs> <laughs> baseball, I think, is seriously considering this, but I assume they would have to have they have to have yeah. some sort of mechanism in place, like in the CBA, that would say, "Okay, the general manager does it," or. I don't know. They they have a fucking reality show where they do Baseball it. Baseball loves to talk about stuff like this yes, and then that's not true. actually do it. Or they do it in like one of the independent minor leagues and they're like, and it turns out actually everybody gets injured when you do that to the pitcher's mound, so we can't do it. Well, in baseball case, they do nothing at all because everyone's locked out and they vote no one into the Hall of Fame. Right. Well, that's like how the owners are handling it. The players came in with these like specific proposals and owners were like, would you guys be willing to play in shorts? Because we think that would be interesting if you did that. Uh, Nate, if it had been up to you to choose your playoff opponent... Uh, would you have wanted to participate in that, or would you have been like, this is fucking weird? To choose the opponent? Yes. I don't think so. No, I like the, you know, the just leaving it up to the system and you play who's in front of you. Um, however, I loved playing the Oakland Raiders. We loved playing the Raiders. We played them twice every year, and we kicked their ass every time. So I would choose the Raiders. But, That's right. Yeah. But uh, Like, no, even if they don't make the playoffs, you're like, I won't yeah. play the Raiders. Let's play the Raiders, yeah. <laughs> It's like ordering off menu at a restaurant. Like, you guys have pizza back there? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, this is a fantastic little podcast. Do you want to give us picks for the weekend, Nate, or is that exclusive to your show? I don't want to force you to pick. <laughs> it is not. I'll give you some picks. Um, right. Look, the 49ers have beat the Rams six straight times. Twice this year, they're going to beat them again. The 49ers are going to the Super Bowl, and they're playing against the Chiefs. All right. All right. Raw, do, do you have a pick? I mean, that more or less sounds right to me. I sort of, uh, I feel like the Rams are better than the 49ers, but I also, like, it's, I did know that it's like, it's been a long time since they beat them. And also, like, it's hard to, you know, in either of those cases, like, to pick either one of those quarterbacks, just as I find it very difficult to pick against either of the quarterbacks in the AFC game. I don't know. I'm really very much looking forward to Cincinnati and Kansas City. I think that will probably be more fun than whatever Super Bowl we get. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i picking both the underdogs, mostly. I'm picking the Bengals because I want the Bengals to win. And I'm picking the Niners because, you know, I watched the Rams really collapse against the Bucks, and they got out, you know, they pulled it out of their ass at the end. But I also watched them collapse against the Niners in Week 18 in a really fantastic game. So I, I think that... I think the Niners can can probably do that again. So 
They're the hardest out in the playoffs right now. I see no reason to pick against them at the moment. So I'm picking a Niners-Bengals Super Bowl rematch. And yeah. Brandon Nix and Corinne Walls are our producers. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. Thanks to Roth and me. You get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. Go subscribe to Defector.com to where you're at. And... Nate Jackson was our guest. Nate's show is called Chad and Nate. He does it with immortal linebacking legend Chad Brown. You can hear that show on 104.3 The Fan in Denver. And Nate's book is Slow Getting Up, which is an excellent tome, which you should buy. Nate Jackson, will you come on the podcast again sometime? Anytime, guys. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much for for coming coming on. on. That was great. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye.